in the day-to-day life, there are a whole range of considerations and reflections. And sometimes there is little danger that we consider the spiritual awarenesses and values as a kind of add-on to the rest of our life. And sometimes we have found ourselves in our uh, orthodox upbringing, some rebellion against that, and it may have kind of got personified in one's youth as going to church on a Sunday morning for an hour, which always seemed incredibly long anyway. And it was a little bit of extra to the mainstream of the rest of the week. And there's always a little danger that that can occur in this kind of work as well. And it may show itself in just sitting for an hour in the morning as the kind of equivalent of church on Sunday. And the rest of the day being neglected and ignored and there is a lack of recognition of the fullness of the day and what it means to bring a a deep and respectful awareness to the fullness of things. So, in that respect, spirituality, for want of a better concept, is to be the thread of the whole day, right through from beginning through to end. It can't take second place to anything. And what that means, in practical terms, is the fullness of consideration to our relationship to life, to our inner life, and to the way we relate to the world which is around us, both the immediate world, that is what comes to our eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch, and to the larger world at the the global level. And we live in a time, and probably a time which will certainly continue into the long foreseeable future, where human beings will need rather urgently to respond and think uh, in a a bigger way than themselves. We have to think bigger than ourselves. And that certainly embraces a spiritual dimension. So, if we just take the outer level for a, a moment, I regard the most noble form of human activity in this world as service, as activities which in a direct and practical way contribute to the welfare of people, to the welfare of animals, creatures, to the welfare of the environment. And activities which are contributing to that as the most noble form of human endeavour.
That may be in one's own home, with one's own family and children. It may be a socially engaged form. It may be in the form of lifestyle and values, of voluntary simplicity, of the absence of forms of uh, unsatisfactory consumerism, all in a very direct and practical way provide a real service to life. And that general spirit of service as a feature of uh, spiritual life also takes into consideration, particularly in the times that we are living in, the way that we use resources. And I don't think anymore that we can divorce spiritual awareness from our relationship to earth, to materials, to land, water and air. I think that has to be included very much rather than forgotten and neglected. And there has been a tendency within religion, particularly popular religion, Buddhism as well as others, to have a tone of a kind of almost life-denying, life-negating attitude. Uh, a view that this earth is just a temporary thing and something else will be offered to us. And I think this perception, this form of consciousness needs to change very significantly for a genuinely down-to-earth spirituality, and you might say here, down-to-earth, down-to-air and down-to-water spirituality, in which we are informed, in which our awareness is informed and we respond to that awareness. That will affect what happens when we walk into the supermarket. That will affect and our um, intentions and will be clear about our purposes with regard to travel and the use of transport. That will affect what we have, what we use and the way that we use it. And all of that will bring that information which is available to us from a spiritual standpoint will mean that the information will affect our responses will affect what we purchase, will affect our values, will affect our way of being in this world as an integral feature of spiritual practice. It's not enough anymore to talk in terms of being mindful from one moment to the next. It's not enough anymore to say, well, I sit morning or evening, or I do one, two or more retreats every year or whatever. That is a too narrow I feel too restricted, too limited a view of what spiritual awareness and practice is. And rather unfortunately, in the tradition, there is, really isn't much support really for a deeper awareness, a deeper form of respect and sensitivity to the world, to our environment and to each other. And I think we do have to draw upon the insights, the realizations of our, the state of our earth, the state of our well-being, 
that are available in the various traditions, green traditions, psychotherapy traditions, new age traditions, and to use those resources as a support as well for what's available in the Eastern traditions, in the Buddhist traditions. So I say information to inform awareness so that our awareness shows itself as an activity, as a caring activity, and therefore is an expression of spiritual practice, spiritual realization. Sometimes there are teachers and there are teachings which have not realized the significance of this dimension. Nothing to be blamed there, nothing to judge. There is simply isn't the realization there. And the realization isn't there sometimes because the tradition, in this case the Buddhist tradition, for which I have immense affection and respect uh, for, and as a small spokesperson for that tradition, one can't find the insights in the tradition. You've got to dig hard and deep. One can read, for example, what the Buddha said, and he has certainly touched on our awarenesses with the earth and with the air and with the water. He has certainly touched on our relationship with creatures, our relationship with human beings. But the tradition hasn't carried this message through solidly enough. And I think we have to see what we can draw from in the formal spiritual practices as we do here and simultaneously find those expressions, expressions in the supermarket. In the supermarket. Take our practice into the marketplace. <clears throat> that means that it may require, and sometimes does require from us, uh, a lot of inquiry in different forms. We just explored here some forms of inquiry together, and it may require in daily life the same spirit, it, which I think it does, but it may take different forms. And that taking of different forms is to ensure, as I was speaking yesterday evening, that there is a sustainable ethics in life, a sustainable awareness, and a sustainable wisdom. Let us take, just take one small, a very small example of this. A person is working as an accountant. They, they are invited, or hired, whatever the term, to uh, audit a, a company's accounts. That accountant then finds out that there has been, to a greater or lesser degree, a fraud taking place in that company, in that management. The auditor, the accountant, the auditor, then is faced with a decision. That decision may be to somehow act as though one never noticed that there was a fraud taking place by the management in this company. The decision may be to withdraw, to, to drop the, the uh, account, the uh, contract, and to say that one doesn't wish to be uh, the auditor. Or it may be to hold that company which is engaged in fraud, which is at the expense of the investors and of the public, to actually hold that company accountable for what has been done. I say that ethic is a spiritual awareness. That is a decision which the person has to make 
because the person has to regard themselves not as a servant of the company, not as a servant of the employer or of the accountancy firm, but as a servant of the people. And therefore, sometimes there are ethics, which is a spiritual value and consideration, which has to be brought in, and that might mean, in this, as the example given of the auditor, he or she loses their job because the person said ethics matter more than being agreeable to a company. And I think that's a small example and illustration which is being repeated in our lives in many forms, day in and day out. Is the commitment to truth or is the commitment to being agreeable? And it's not an easy road. It's not an easy way of being in this world. But there's an integrity that goes with it. There's a, 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 a concern for truth. And I have said in the past on a number of occasions, it's easy to find the truth. Living with it is something else. And sometimes the truth is right before our eyes on a sheet of paper with numerous figures on it. And we see that this truth here is a fraud. So I say, inquiry and investigation and the concern for truth and integrity is as distinctive features of spiritual life, of service as a distinctive feature of spiritual life, isn't an easy road to go along. But there's a challenge there, and in a way there's a deep human kindness there, because one is considerate of, of the wider implications of finding the truth. In the daily life situation as well, we look at our, not only our work and the motives and intentions which give support to, to our work, but also the deeper feelings which accompany work. And the way that the deeper feelings of life can really and actually communicate themselves in the marketplace, in the government office in the factory, in the home, and to show ways that that can actually take place. In order for that to take place, we require and need to draw from the resources which are available to us. What ways can we live with wisdom in the face of circumstances? For some different aspects of this, and one of them, of course, as I have mentioned different times, is the usefulness of an attitude of mind which regards experiences of life as a genuine learning experience. What can I learn from this experience? What, what, what does this tell me? Which way can I grow and develop as a human being while in the midst of this particular situation? And hopefully that awareness and that capacity for learning, a deeper form of learning than the cerebral learning, which is a, to some degree in our educational system is a useful form, but it's got exaggerated and it's at the expense of the deeper learnings of life 
we have to recover those deeper learnings of life, not only for ourselves, but also for our children. To give a um, small uh, illustration of this, the other evening for Francis, there was a guided meditation uh, in here. I had mentioned that Francis, who has been a very good friend to IMS and a very fine servant to other people as a psychotherapist, was in the very last period of his life. He's a man in his late 40s. And one of the people who was on the retreat here with us for a few days and was one of the attendants for Francis in the last period, uh, went back to be with him. And uh, the following day, after the loving-kindness meditation here, I rang Francis's uh, apartment where he was. He, I spoke with one of the people there who was giving uh, support to him, and I asked if a message could be passed over to Francis to uh, express and communicate to him that we had had loving kindness for him and to express some personal uh, appreciations and acknowledgement for him. The person who answered the phone said to, said to me that it would be rather nice if I recorded the message rather than he write it down. If, if the message was recorded on the answering machine, if I rang back, recorded on the answering machine, so that Francis could hear it himself. This was uh, at the end of the morning of um, two, days, two days ago. And I received a telephone call from one of the attendants in the apartment that the recorded telephone message to him was played uh, several uh, times to him. He asked that it was played several times to him at the uh, end of the morning and Francis died at 8 o'clock that evening. So sometimes in our small gestures of life, small contributions of life, we never know the appropriateness of the moment. And our support and our love and our kindnesses for each other, as I say, is a feature of spiritual life, which is with us, hopefully, right through from morning through to evening, from one day to the next. In the daily life uh, situation, as I mentioned, there are the outer features, people, animals, and environment. And, of course, there are features, too, of our inner life. And the acknowledgement that human existence isn't an easy road, that there are times when, when it is severely difficult to be alive and to experience what we can experience in our emotional life, in our intellectual life, in our physical life, in our spiritual life, in the influences of the past, in the present. And at times when there is immense difficulty in these areas, then the support of others, the skills 
and the wisdom which is available in the hearts and minds of others is a wonderful and inseparable support for ourselves. And at times, even with the support, even with the, all the kindnesses in the world pouring towards us from a person or persons, still we are challenged to accommodate, and it's nothing else but accommodate our existence, accommodate its diversity, its complexity, its uncertainty, its fears, its confusions, its pains of past, present, or with regard to the future, and we are in this unenviable position of saying this has to be accommodated because this universe is an accommodating place and we have to, uh, have to be, as it were, as with our consciousness as big as the universe to accommodate all of it. Since the universe accommodates it and consciousness belongs to the universe, awareness belongs to the universe, then let it be accommodated. And our reminders and our support and working with each other and with ourselves can make that possible. So, there's the ethical principles and, and guidelines and the challenges which come to us. There is the regarding whatever the event are in our life as an opportunity for learning and to make that a real deep feature of our existence. There's the exploration in overt ways and in general ways to provide a life of service, to live a life of service and all that, that can show itself. And there is the information, as I mentioned, which is becoming increasingly important and valuable to us about life, about inner and outer life, about environmental life, and its importance is only if it brings a response. If it leads to despair, if it leads to cynicism, if it leads to feelings of being overwhelmed, then the austerity which is required from us is that we cut the input. If the information which we receive about political, global, social circumstances is working against us, then let's starve the mind of this information. Let's not use the evening news on the television or the car radio to feel frustration and disappointment and despair. Let's remember the off switch on these uh, machines so that in our silence and in our deprivation and our austerity from information there's the opportunity through contact with the nature as instead of information, we can find renewal. There's no use pouring in information, no matter what the purpose, if it really is depriving one of a healthy and uh, awareful inner life. And I would say, if a person is doing studies one year after the other, and it's just contributing to despair and unhappiness and conflict, then without second thought, dump the studies. 
don't hold on to it. And there are ways of being in this world where, which can be a full and rich and conscious life and one doesn't have a single letter before or after one's name and one couldn't care less. So, again, with these different features there, and one, of course, is another, is that sometimes we are blessed and fortunate to live in a network or in an area where there is a lot of genuine, open, non-sectarian, non-cultish exploration taking place. And if there is, please don't assume it and then fall into a kind of isolation. And quite often, when I see friends, I will uh, often ask, oh, have you been, whatever it might be, to the center recently? Have you uh, met with you know, spiritual friends? You know, have you been on any workshops recently? Have you been out into the nature or whatever? And one just asks often in kind of general light conversation, but also one must ask oneself every week. How is the contact? Where is the renewal? Some people, in themselves, extremely independent in that respect. But there is just as much reason to make contact because it, to give support to those who are less independent, who have more need for spiritual renewal and spiritual reminders. And I think in that respect, we can all give a lot of support to each other. Some people, and like myself, many years ago, 25 years ago now, just felt that in uh, England at that time, in the 60s, what was uh, taking place uh, there, apart from the, the swinging London mentality, was not my scene, and moved on, and moved on to the, to the east and spent years there. And for others, you know, just in a similar way today, if there is strong feeling of isolation and all that can go with spiritual isolation, then don't give it a second thought but to find ways to move. There are others too who are doing service work and that matters to them and providing for the welfare and support of other people, there isn't that kind of contact around. And then one is re rather reliant on one's inner resources and on the nature for renewal. If that is the situation, then please, please keep the commitment to that situation. We need people in this world who are prepared to go that little bit further and sometimes that means some isolation and to find ways to work with that situation. Retreats, of course, have a, a value and a usefulness, I would have to say that, wouldn't I? And people, people uh, come on the retreats and the degree of intimacy and closeness which can occur through retreat world and through these days, it's not just for you or for me, for us, but provides uh, and ex its influence extends far and wide.
far and wide. To give a very, very small example of what I mean here. Just recently, when I was uh, in Thailand visiting uh, Ajahn Damodaro, 78, and Ajahn Buddhadasa, 84, and spent days, these are my two teachers, and, uh, and I'm blessed to have a relationship, uh, connection with them for more than uh, 20 years now. And to see that the way the Dharma is developing in the West and its expression is having considerable influence in Eastern setting. That retreats, which was an unheard of concept in the Buddhist tradition, has become a regular feature and that monks and nuns are going to places to sit uh, retreats. There are monks and nuns from the Buddhist tradition who are coming to the West to see how it, how it works and the forms and the timetables which take place and then finding ways to express that uh, in places in the East. There are people from here, that is the West, who are giving support to uh, Buddhist practices and, and Buddhist uh, social awarenesses, social activism, not to promote Buddhism but to promote truth and, and justice and equity in life. And in the West we have some organizational, uh, administrative skills and we draw immensely, those of us involved, on Buddhist practices and teachings and there's a lot of mutual meeting occurring. All that is part of the interfacing. That's all belonging to the outflows of these kind of retreats. It's having a significant influence. And just yesterday I was speaking with one person who's just come back from Sri Lanka and has been asked to contribute to organizing a peace march from the Sinhalese community of South Sri Lanka to the Tamils, where, as you know, there's tremendous pain and conflict there. And the Westerners going there give support to peace and justice and non-violence. So it's a mutual meetings which are taking place and sparking from just these settings, these kind of retreats. So I say your presence, our presence here together has near and far short and long-term repercussions. And I think there's something very open and precious about all of this. So these are some of the, the, the points I wanted to uh, raise with you. With the meditations themselves, of, of course, that some do have that the quiet, regular discipline of a daily practice in its formal sense, sitting in the chair or cross-legged or using a stool. And sometimes that can be very, very helpful and supportive as a kind of barometer. How, what, what's the state of being? What's the state of mind and body when one is sitting? What is, what is being revealed to one in that quietitude, in the silence and stillness, when one isn't doing anything? And so the condition of mind and body, in a way, is not so important as the relationship to it. And sometimes we need some forms of quietitude, maybe formal meditation or just some silence or 
stillness at the end of the day when everything is quiet, the work has stopped, children, if one's a parent, are in bed and the day is over, just to tune in with ourselves and see what's happening with us and what the insights and the learning that can take place. So, is it, so these all comprehend some of the, rather express some of the features of daily life. So the whole life is, is lived for liberation. The whole life is lived for fearlessness. The whole life is lived for an enlightened way of being in this world. And that surely pays the ultimate respect to existence. So let's have two or three few minutes of loving-kindness meditation together, please. Just sitting, being here together. sharing this moment in time. During the days we've been here, times we've passed through different ups and downs, sometimes difficult periods, times we've been heavily judgmental upon ourselves, upon another person or others or life itself. And we've struggled with the circumstances, the prevailing circumstances of existence. And just right now, just sitting and being here together, free from any harsh views towards life, towards oneself, towards anybody near or far. So that we're just being aware conscious human beings and no ill will or resentment or bitterness or judgmental mind.
none of that present in this moment. And we know the truth of this moment without any of that. And I would like us to specifically extend our loving kindness today to those who, shall we say, share our blood. Family, people, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, aunts and uncles. What a they are alive on, on the earth or not. To those who are close to us, including uh, those that we live with, whether in community, whether a friend in our apartment, whether a partner, letting the warmth and the loving kindness pervade our perception of such people. as a contribution towards understanding them. Acknowledging our coexistence. Acknowledging there is or there has been history together, coexistence. And with the firm awareness and commitment to take one day at a time. May our mother and father live in peace and harmony. May our brothers and sisters 
live in peace and harmony. May all of our relatives, past, present and future, live in peace and harmony. May our heart expand out to the larger family of humanity. May our children and our grandchildren grow into a world of peace and <coughs> harmony. And may the difficulties which occur in life never overshadow this inexplicable nature of things. May the activities of our heart and mind, speech and body contribute to the welfare of life. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings in all the realms in all the universes, live in peace and harmony. So, Jose and Yvonne and myself would like to express our thanks, multiple number of them, for all the uh, endless kindnesses uh, during the days that we've been here. We would also like to express our gratitude to all the staff for their tremendous support and giving all of us the opportunity to come here to IMS to do our thing and their ongoing cooperation and coordination of all the activities and responses, responsibilities make it possible for all of us just to come and to look deeply into things together and they continue to be here after we leave and do the mopping up operation and prepare for, for Christina that comes on the uh, next re retreat and quite a number of women as well I 
here. And also we'd like, of course, thank you too very, very much for the donations and the financial support and in a very uh, real way contributes to the continuity of these teachings in, in this world. And we wish you a very pleasant and safe journey home and to take it in a mellow way, please, when you return home. Sometimes people on retreats seem to get more insights into their friends and partners than they do into themselves. <laughs> and your friends and partners and others may not be prepared for your <laughs> realizations about where they're at. <laughs> so, again, sometimes actions often speak more loudly than words in this world and just presence and calmness and care and support reveals far more than what we tell other people. Sometimes people arrive home and feel utterly exhausted and have the delight of not having to put the alarm clock on so early in the morning and go to bed early and just have a good night's sleep, and that might be <laughs> just the medicine. So, please, as you leave here today, a pleasant, comfortable journey home, some of you near, some of you quite some distances. Thank you again for the support, and hopefully, on this rather vast way, we'll have chance and opportunity to um, meet again. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.